Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Hello there. May we please have a table for two? Mm-hmm. How long of a wait? 30 minutes? Okay. The name you can put it under will be Jack. Yes, please. Thank you. Remind me again why you don't use your actual name? Because sometimes I just don't want to be recognized or called out. Sometimes I just want to be incognito. <laughs> okay, two things. One, I don't think you're that re- that recognizable yet. And two, who's going to call you out? You never know. I meet a lot of people. Sometimes you just want to go out, have a nice meal and a drink, and not make small talk. I understand, but using an alias can get you in with the wrong crowd. Think about that show we saw last week. Might you perhaps take a cue from that? Okay, buddy Hackett, you've made your point. Though to be fair, it's only a name. I'm not passing fake bills or anything. I'm just saying it's a slippery slope. Today it's a name. Tomorrow you're pretending to be a royalty in a Hallmark movie. All right, all right, that's enough from you. Besides, she's calling our name. Let's go. I'm funny. You know I'm funny. Yeah, yeah. Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the crafty show, Catch Me If You Can. So hurry and take your seats, it looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. We've got a story that we'd love to tell, but we'll need some help to tell it well. So join us, won't you, as we discuss the deceitful and delightful show, Catch Me If You Can. The short-lived musical may not have played for too long on Broadway, but the story conned its way into theater goers across the country since its run. But of course, we must begin on the ground level before heading up. The show tells the story of Frank Abagnale Jr. and the long con that he played over several years, along with the federal agent, Carl Hanratty, who followed and ultimately caught him. A majority of the plot of Catch Me If You Can is borrowed from the 2002 film of the same name, which in turn was based on the 1980 autobiography of the same name by Abagnale and Stan Redding. Let's take this moment to introduce our design team. The music was by Mark Shaman, lyrics by Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman, book by Terrence McNally, directed by Jack O'Brien, choreography by Jerry Mitchell, set by David Rockwell, costumes by William Ivy Long, lights by Kenneth Posner, sound design by Stephen Canyon Kennedy, 
Hair by Paul Huntley. The musical had its first reading in 2005. It began private workshops in July of 2007 and began an out-of-town tryout in Seattle on July 28, 2009. It received positive reviews and made its way to Broadway, beginning previews on March 11, 2011. The show officially opened at the Neil Simon Theater on April 10, 2011, and ran for 166 performances, closing on September 4th of that year. The show would be nominated for four Tony Awards that season and would dance away with one for Best Actor in a Musical, going to Norbert Leo Butts, who played Carl Hanratty. So, let's take off with our story. In the 1960s, Frank Abnell Jr., a young con man, is cornered at the Miami International Airport by FBI agent Carl Henratty and his team. Henratty asserts that there is no use in running, and his men are trained to shoot. Before his arrest, Frank pleads with Henratty to allow him to inform the people in the airport why they're beating at him, though Henratty only wants to know how he passed the bar exam in New Orleans to pose as a lawyer. Frank promises to tell him all his secrets if they allow him to tell the story. A reluctant Henratty agrees. In the home of New Rochelle, New York, Frank lives with his parents, Frank Abnell Sr. and Paul, sorry, Paula Abagnale. His parents met in Mont Richard, France during World War II. Paula was performing at a diner and noticed Frank Sr. among the soldiers in the audience, marrying him soon after. Due to money shortages, Frank is unable to attend a private school. Nonetheless, wearing his school jacket to public school. He is taunted there as looking like a substitute teacher, which gives Frank an idea. A few days later, the principal informs his parents that Frank has been teaching French class at the school while their teacher is absent. One day, Frank walks home from school to find his mother dancing with one of Frank Sr.'s friends. She pleads with him not to tell Frank Sr., but a distraught Frank is soon in court with Paula and Frank Sr. fighting over custody of him. Frank decides to run away. He soon learns to create fake checks, cashing them at banks across the country, and successfully conning millions of dollars. While entering a New York City hotel, Frank notices several attracted women, all of them stewardesses. He decides to become a pilot. After creating a fake ID card, he finds a co-pilot job at Pan American World Airways. The workers express the joys of a life in the skies. Hanratty finds several fake checks on his desk in Washington, D.C. He and agents Branton, Dollar, and Cod are assigned to track down the writer of these fake checks. Hanratty gives a word of wisdom to whoever wrote the checks. Don't break the rules. Frank enjoys his pilot job, remembering how his dad always said that women love a man in uniform, as the pinstripes are all they see. Feeling homesick, he visits Frank Sr., upset to find out that he had to close his store to save money. Frank offers him several checks to improve his financial situation, but Frank Sr. declines, believing that Frank should be happy with his success and not worry about him. 
Meanwhile, Henratty sorts through leftover items from the hotel Frank had just stayed at, looking for the man inside the clues. Henratty tracks Frank to the hotel room in Los Angeles, but Frank escapes him after tricking Henratty into believing that Frank is a Secret Service agent named Barry Allen. Frank attends a holiday party for the airport staff, but ultimately feels lonely, calling Henratty on a payphone for comfort. Henratty, realizing the culprit is just a kid, reveals that he, too, has no one to spend Christmas with. Act 2 starts, and Frank comes across another staff party, this time for a hospital. When asked what his job is by one of the doctors, Frank lies and says that he is a pediatrician at the Death Valley Children's Hospital, working with snot-nosed kids and calling himself Dr. Connors. Feeling sorry for him, the doctor finds him a job at the Atlanta General Hospital, surrounded by nurses who are ready to take the bait. Henratty is still searching for Frank, going through missing person reports. He eventually finds the house of Paula and her new husband, questioning her on the whereabouts of Frank. She tells him not to worry, as does Frank Sr. Both plead with Frank, don't be a stranger. While talking to Frank Sr. at a bar, Henratty realizes that both men had overbearing fathers. Meanwhile, Frank has fallen in love with one of the nurses, Brenda Strong, though she finds him intimidating. He tells her he has seen the seven wonders, but none of them compared to her beauty. Brenda brings Frank to meet her family in New Orleans, where he lies that he's a lawyer, a doctor, and a Lutheran to impress her father. Her father does not believe him, but permits him to be with Brenda after Frank admits how much he loves her. Brenda's parents, Carol and Roger Strong, tell Frank that they have a family sing-along each night after dinner. They turn on the television to the song, after which Frank proposes to Brenda and she accepts. Shortly before the engagement ceremony, Frank discovers Henratty has figured out where he is. He admits the truth to Brenda, telling her his real name, Frank William Abergnell Jr. He promises to return after escaping from Henratty. Just as he leaves, Henratty enters, asking Brenda where Frank went. She laments that she loves Frank and would never tell on him, but is tricked into doing so shortly thereafter. The story returns to the opening scene where Frank is cornered in the airport. The agents escort passengers out of the area as Frank threatens to run. Henratty states that he doesn't want to use force, but would have to if Frank ran. Henratty informs Frank that his father is dead. A drunken Frank Sr. had fallen downstairs at the bar, breaking his neck. Realizing he has nobody, Frank gives in to Henratty. Although the sentence is to be 15 years in prison, Frank is released after seven. Shortly after his release, he is hired by Henratty and the FBI to track down others who committed crimes like his. Hanratty and Frank embrace, noting that their partnership is strange but true. Hanratty then makes Frank keep his promise, telling him how he passed the New Orleans bar exam. Frank tells a surprised Hanratty that he didn't cheat. I studied. The, the end. end. So let's now discuss the show, the things we like, the things that could be maybe better, the things that 
stood out to us? Are a few of our favorite things. <laughs> um, this was an interesting show. And like I remember seeing this on a Sunday matinee. And I remember it being a decent overall show. I had never, I still have never seen the movie with, let's see, Tom Hanks, right? And Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. Okay, so I've never seen the movie, although those two actors, I'm a fool. Um, yes. <laughs> I found the story of the show really quite fascinating. You know, so even though, like, in the reviews, it really got ripped to shreds, I was just kind of like, yeah, but the story is interesting. I didn't, this is a real story. Hmm. You know. Right. Well, and um, this show never really stuck out very much for me, except for Live in Living Color and the uh, ad campaign. Oh, do you want to feel, not do you want to feel special, uh, with the Pan Am girls. I know what you're thinking of. Yeah, well, just like the different Jet, ad It's called Jet Set. Jet Set is the only way to Oh, go. no, I'm not talking about the music or anything. I'm talking about, like, literally... No, no, that's what I'm saying. They, they were all Pan Am girls. They were walking like it was the 60s by the plane, and they were singing the Jet Set song, and it was... that I have no recollection of that. that the parts that stuck with me is literally the ads, like the, the physical picture ads of oh, the logo. I'm sorry. And all the different stuff. Okay, well, That's go- what stuck Google, with me. Google Catch Me If You Can Broadway ads. They did these very 1960s ads, but they were clearly um, modernized. Like, you know, they didn't look like in the 60s grainy thing. Um, but it had Aaron Tevet walking these flight attendants down and they were supposed to like be marketing Pan American Airways. Do you want to feel... Uh, I can't remember the exact words, but then he turns around. Jet set is the only way to go. And then it would fly up and there's a plane flying. It's like, catch me if you can now at the Neil Simon Theater. And it was just, it harkened back to a different time. And that's the first one that I saw. And I went, oh, this looks like fun. Right. But I will say it does kind of speak to the longevity of the show that you can't really remember the song and you keep singing an Avenue Q song instead. I keep, well, I bet (laughs) if you Google it and you hear the opening thing, you can see where I'm going. I keep going to go, do you feel? One, it feels spooky. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, for me, the show was like a tea bag or a bottle of wine. At the time, it didn't quite sit right. But then, like, after some time, the real flavors and taste came out. And I could really appreciate it for what it was. So when we saw it back in 2011, I was kind of like, okay, there it is. Flash forward, you know, two, five, seven, ten years. I'm like, Okay, okay, I get it. You know, it, it's one of those shows that needed to sit with me for a long period. And I went, I get it now. You know, because honestly, there are, some, there are some good musical numbers in there. And we'll get into that. Um, and in fact, let's just dive into breaking it down a little bit more. So let's start with the set. Okay. Um, I love the 60s feel of it. It was 60s, 60s, 60s. It was fun. The it shapes, the bright colors. colors. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they had the two levels to the set. They had, like, that bridge in the back. So you had, like, that upper deck and you had that lower deck, you know, the stage level. Um, and I love the use of the bridge in the back for different parts of the scenes. There was, a, you know, it was a boarding gate. It was, a, you know, part of the chase scene. Um, for the party stuff, there was a harkening back to Turkey Lurkey from Promises Promises back in the day when they were at the party. Um, I love that there were steps that led up to it. I believe in the opening number of memory searching right, but they were suitcases. So they brought out this thing of suitcases and then it popped out to be stairs. I don't remember that. Ah, 
I have my memory a little bit. And then the Pan Am planes that they used were great. And I know that just sounds weird, but look, Pan Am is just like a 60s icon. It, like, if you see the logo, you immediately go, oh, 1960s. So that set was all about the 60s. Um, and complimenting that, you know, just bonding right into it were the costumes. I do remember the costumes. Aaron Tivet looked very nice in his suit. Yeah, and like that opening number and that red vest, you know, and the white, and everybody was in these 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 beautiful white sixties. You know, the girls were in these. Are they crop tops where the bellies are shown? Is that, is that yes. a crop top? They yes, were in these that's a crop, cute crop. crop tops, and the boys were in these tight fitting white kind of suits. And I was like, that's such a sixties, the swinging sixties kind of look. Um, and then you saw them put on these Letterman's jacket, and I was like, okay, I'm getting it. Um, the flight attendant outfits. Oh, they were to die for with those pencil skirt and those pillbox hats. I mean, it's hard not to love a good, uh, you know, nineteen sixties flight attendant costume. No, and and the nurses. We, t- I mean, look, the, what I loved about the nurse outfits were we knew they were nurses, but they totally went for the sexy nurse thing because oh, it was. Yeah, the show was, is about about you know Frank dripping in luxury and thinking how everything was just about like you know sex and money. Well. The number that they used for the the um, the the hostessing the nurses is it's like doctor doctor it's very sensual. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact name of the song right now. I should have the playlist pulled up in front of me. I'm terrible. I am a bad host right now. But you know, it, it was funny. And then you get Carrie Butler who plays Brenda coming out, and she's not like sex full on. She's just like in a typical sixties nurse uniform with the long white stockings and that. Um. Yeah, and it was just a fun show for costumes, hair, all that. Mm-hmm. Again, 60s. I remember the lights um, moving forward. Just I remember the lights being very colorful. Lots of bright blues and pinks and um, just a lot of color. Yes. With lights. The two things that stood out to me was I loved the color scapes that were in the back, particularly during the pilot scenes, and these beautiful palettes that they created to look like the sky, all these colors coming from below and above, and they bled together just to create, you know... Kind of like a watercolor Exactly, like of... a sunset or a sunrise. And, you know, I know that they can do that with backdrops, but it looks so natural and so real. Um, it was gorgeous. And then the other thing that I remembered was during the number Breaking All the Rules when it was all the government agents, all the lasers. Mm-hmm. And it was dark and there were all these lasers and red lights and stuff. And the lighting was very hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And it, and it just emphasized the movement in that number, you know. It, and, and that for me was great that we had all this fun, flooding, colorful light, ooh, 60s. And then, you know, when you do have the, the suits, if you will, on stage, the lighting is completely different. There's a completely different mood. We're in a completely different place. And I was like, good. And that should be that way. So that was a lot of fun. And since we're talking about breaking all the rules, we have to talk about the choreography. Um, breaking all the rules was the showstopper for the show. Norbert Leo Butts, who won the Tony, really brought the house down with that number. The tapping was phenomenal. In fact, I remember learning this dance when I was in college. And it was so much fun to learn. Um, it was amazing to watch. And YouTube this, guys. Go look it up. They performed at the Tonys. I mean, he gives it, its, it his all. And it's such a good... 
number, um, all these guys in trench coats and that. Um, the, the, the lyrics are fantastic. It's just a fun, fun number. Um, and then I also like the, the, whole, uh, the choreography was just fun as a whole. The big dance numbers felt more like, you know, like a big hullabaloo dance number of the 60s. Like mm-hmm. we're all just kind of coming together for a party. Live in Living Color was I, like those TV dance parties, you yes, know? Yes, well, that's what Live in Living Color is the one that sits back in my head because it just, it sounds so grand. Like just the music paired with the movement. It just feels like that dripping in luxury, mm-hmm. expensive 1960s, big, you know, dance number. Yeah. And then, like I said, you've got Jet Set in there. You've got Doctor Doctor or whatever it's called. You've got some <laughs> of these bigger numbers that just, yeah, it just feels like those old. I don't want to say American Bandstand because that's not quite it, but you know, where you just have all these teenage kids doing these fun, wacky '60s dances, like Laugh Out or something. I don't know. Um, moving on to direction, I thought this was a, there was a decent job of this overall. The story was really well shown through. There were. There were some, there was something we were just left wanting from the show. And I honestly think that there was nothing more that they could do to fix that just because of the success of the movie. They were fighting an uphill battle to begin with because the movie is so good and shows such a variety of different places and um, brings to life all of the things like Frank being in the airplane and being a doctor and being a lawyer that... It's hard to make that come to life on stage when you have to suspend a certain level of disbelief and the show, the musical, you know, you have to be able to suspend a little bit of disbelief. But if you have loved the movie like I did, at least for me, it was like, oh, you know, I see what they're doing, but it was displayed visually better in the movie, which normally I don't condone like, you know, comparing the movie and the musical at the same time because they are different mediums so they are their own separate things but for me that wanting more that i kept getting from the musical was because i had already gotten it from the movie Mm -hmm. so well i think the other catch 22 was those some of the songs being memorable the point of songs in the show is you have no other way to express a thought than to sing and I don't think some of these songs came out of such a heightened state of emotion. I can agree with that too. Where it was like, we need a song moment here. And it's like, well, do we? Is the action really that high? Is the emotion really that high? Right. It was was almost like this particular show was trying to follow a musical format rather than letting it be organic. Right. And I mean, the songs that stand out definitely hit the mark where it's like, yeah, this is definitely a moment when you mm-hmm. songs. But the songs that you're just like, I don't really remember this, are ones where you're like, did we need a song? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the character development, though, was very, very good in this show. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Aaron Tavet did a great job with Frank Aber. I keep calling him Abernathy. God, I know, bless. I told you. I keep, I keep wanting to say Frank Abernathy. Frank Jr. Frank, and by the way, if we botch the names, you don't need to tell us that. We will always botch names. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm terrible with names as it is. It's going to happen. But, Anyways, this is a, a blanket apology on that. Yeah, just we're, we're 39 episodes in and now we're sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Aaron Tivette playing Frank Jr. was great. Norbert Leo Butts was really amazing. Carrie Butler was really fantastic in developing the characters. You had these dynamic characters that existed on stage that really balanced it out. Um, 
I think honestly the parents were a little eh. mm-hmm. like it, you saw the the rift between them, but it was like mm, I, I don't know what they contributed something in the beginning, and then I was like, we don't really. You're you're too much. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, backstory. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I know what word you're looking for. No, I can't remember. Um. Anyway, yeah. Too much of that. Exposition. Exposition. That's it. So, but we're gonna move on. Music, because I wanted to finish up with music, because I haven't gotten to this. There are some really clever and fun numbers, and like I said, this is a show that for me, um, I. At first, it, it, it sat, and I didn't quite get it. And then after a few years' time, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. This is great. This is amazing. This is wonderful. And I realized there were actually a lot of really good tunes in this. Um, we've already talked about um, Live, Live and Living, Living Color. Color, but there's also, um, you know, like I said, Jet Set, Don't Break the Rules, Butter Out of Cream. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Doctor's Orders. That's the one I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Doctor's Orders. Seven Wonders is a beautiful love song. Carrie Butler singing Fly, Fly Away. Beautiful, beautiful uh, song. You know, that's five songs I think I got. Just looking here at the album. That's not bad for a show that, that only played, you know, four or five months on Broadway. That's not bad. And I'm sure if we listen to all of the show right now, We'd probably go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. Little Boy Be a Man's another one. I remember that. Um, but, yeah, so it it had some good music to it. Mm-hmm. There were some good moments. And I don't want to take that away from the show. Um, well, and I really think, for me, um, this was one of those shows that just kind of existed. And I would see it. But I don't know if I'd go out of my way to see it. And that's just purely because, I mean, it's it's a story I already know. It's, you know, it's a musical, which I enjoy musicals. You know, and so it just kind of fell, if we're looking at like a, a, a spectrum of things I'm obsessed with versus things I could care less about. Mm-hmm. It falls kind of in the middle to the lesser. And I can't really put my finger on why because... It didn't stick in my memory other than the logo for the show and Live and Living Color. Yeah. And I couldn't really explain why other than that. Um, but I really think that it just has to do with... It was it was too much of a formula musical rather than an organic storytelling mm-hmm. um, driven musical, if that yeah. makes any sense. But yeah, just to wrap up, the, like I said, the music, it, it didn't hit me at the time, but after some time and saturation with it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. This show has had several notable performers, including Norbert Leo Butts, Aaron Tavet, Carrie Butler, Tom Wopat, and Andrew Schorer. let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. So, something I want to just say here, Andrew and I kind of talked about this as we were writing the script. Um, 
I didn't really think there was much of a theatrical impact or a societal impact on the show, which we can agree to disagree. No, there's but, no disagreeing here. We're but united the, front. The <laughs> thing I want to say about that is it's okay because not everything needs to have a lasting impact. Sometimes a entertainment impact and a escape impact on the individual is more than enough. Not everything needs to be dripping with impact. Well, my opinion is when it comes to particularly Broadway, if they're bringing a show to Broadway after investments in time and previews, it's going to have some sort of theatrical impact. Something. There's only 41 stages on Broadway. At least half of them typically have longer running shows. So if you're going to get one of those other 2021 theaters, you know, it's going to be something good that's going to make an impression, even if it's short-lived. In today's standards, this might have been different 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But with that being said, to me, the theatrical impact, there's three things that I thought about. To me, it brought another famous title to the stage. To me, it brought another famous story to the stage. And you can hear our mail in the background, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And the third thing is um, it brought together another show that, or created another show that was accessible for smaller theaters and regional houses and community houses, which we'll get into later. Those, to me, are the theatrical impacts. And I could see that. And I mean, that is definitely an impact. Thank you, mailman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I just, I guess for me, I'm like, it, there doesn't have, it ha- it didn't have to have made an impact. And that's fine. And see, that's going to lead us to societal impact, which we talked about last night, which I don't think you're going to agree with, but this is the only thing I could come up with. But I feel like you're reaching and that's why I, I don't agree definitely with reaching. If but anything, you don't have to reach is my anything, point. If anything, it gave us a chance to re-examine the criminal justice system and how we use it to help or hinder our society. I did not know about this person and furthermore i didn't realize that their sentence was reduced and then they joined the fbi and helped them to seek out and 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 prosecute the very people that they used to be and i went oh so we're literally rehabilitating people that's how the system should work so what else could we use what who else could we use to help solve societal issues like that there's the, the thing is is while i agree with that um had this person not been a one committed a white collar crime and two been white, this story would not be the same. I understand. And so it is an example of white privilege. I understand. So yes, they did get rehabilitated. I never and they said did. it was the whole thing. I knew it was a reach, <laughs> but hey, fill in the blanks. So let's just move on because I don't want to spend forty minutes on this and. I know where I'm at. I'm 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 a lone man on a grain of salt, and I reach for that. But and he wants to stay on that grain of salt. No, I really don't. But I'm just I'm saying if there was any societal impact, I think it's that. If 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 is the key word, as Bill Clinton once said, it depends on what your definition of if is. Is the show still relevant for me? Mainly on Broadway. No, I don't think it. It, it has a place here. That's me. Um, however, I think, and I have seen, this show sees much more success in regional, community, and collegiate theater. And I think that's a perfect place for a show of this size and a story like this. Yes, doing this as like a summer stock show or in colleges um, or even just for community theaters, I think that this is a 
great piece of material for that because it lets you have fun with it and this is it's a title and it's a story that people know so it'll get people into seats which will help the theater build revenue which will allow them to produce more theater it's got fun music fun dance numbers everyone loves a good 60 show so i think its place is is in the smaller regional theaters community theaters and that but for broadway i'm gonna have to say a hard no well yeah i think uh broadway no i don't think it needs to be at like even top regional houses like professional you're saying lord a's Yes, Lord A theaters, basically. I, I think that strictly community theaters. Collegiate and, theaters. Collegiate theaters and amateur theaters who need uh, to put butts in seats. Okay. we wanted to go and share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we, like we've said, we had the good fortune of seeing this back in 2011. And we, this is, I think it's the first time we really don't have too many stories attached to the show. The only one I can think of is we did get to do the stage door, the kiss and cry line. We did get to meet Aaron Tavette and Carrie Butler and Tom Wolpat and Norbert Leo Butts. And this was shortly after he won the Tony. So that was exciting. And this was, uh, I got to see Andy Shore on stage and would later go on to dress her at Pioneer um, a year or two later. Two years later. Yeah. For Sweet Charity. Charity. Yeah. Wait, I say three, three years later. It was 2012. 2012? Because 2011 was... 2011 was Les Mis. 12 was for Charity. 13 was Music Man. No, 13 wasn't Music Man. 15 was Music Man. 14 was Sweet Charity. No, Sweet Charity was 2012. Right after... It was the year after Les Mis. Oh, okay. But anyways, so. it doesn't matter. We'll we'll debate our our memories later. But yeah, it was cool to meet them. Um, this was the f- second time we'd met Aaron Tavet because we met him on Next to Normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the first time we met Tom Wolpat. This is my second time meeting Carrie Butler because I had met her for Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Xanadu. I do like Xanadu. And uh, the first time meeting Norbert Leo Butts, and it was great to see him. It was after, after he won the, the Tony. Tony. Yeah. Um, so. I'm going to chalk up to me not remembering a lot about the show or these experiences to the fact that it was June in New York and it was really hot and it was probably foggy because of how hot I was. Okay. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. We hope, like us, you are now finding your way back to the theater. You'll be able to see Catch Me If You Can at a theater near you, hopefully soon. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And please keep your mask on for maybe just a little longer. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Of 
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Good Louds, Quantum Jazz, Mela, Kevin McLeod, and Billy Murray. <laughs>